0: Colin Campbell-Austin is the co-founder of Mentor, a socially responsible organisation focusing on the issues surrounding mental health, diversity and inclusion from a male perspective, with a focus on training and development in the workplace, as well as collaboration with other socially responsible businesses focusing on other social issues and the strands of diversity as defined by the UK government. Colin, thank you very much for coming on the show.
1: Hi, Nathan. Thanks for
0: having me. You've got an absolutely fascinating Background, you were talent and people development manager at Channel 4. You've been head of talent resourcing and people development at The Telegraph and several other roles championing diversity and inclusion in media. But you start your career as cabin crew for British Airways in 1997. uh, Looking after first class and economy passengers, what perspective did that give you on a human beings and how did it subsequently shape your career?
1: Oh, Nathan, that's an interesting story. Um, When I was younger, I wanted to uh, travel the world. Uh, But I was from a background where I couldn't afford to go traveling. My mum was a single parent and I needed to help support her. So I decided the best way to fulfill my my dreams and ambitions and earn some money uh, was to become cabin crew. Mm -hmm. Uh, Got the job, thought I would do it for a couple of years and then go on and do something else. Um, but I absolutely loved it. Um, I ended up staying at for Airways for 11 years. Hmm. After a couple of years, what really interested me or I found really interesting um, were the people. What I realised was that it didn't matter where you came from, what your background was, what class you were sitting in, whether it's first class or economy. People's wants and needs are the same and people are the same. And once you identify that people operate within bands, you can actually anticipate their needs. So subsequently, I became very good at my job. I could literally go up to somebody with one second, sum them up, um, realise what they wanted, and I could deliver on that before they'd even asked. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I got to a point where after every flight I did, at least one customer would write in, um, and praise uh, my performance on the flight. Hmm. Uh, BA obviously picked up on this um, and asked me to apply uh, to become a cabin crew manager. I did and um, was successful, um, and I ended up managing a, a team of 450 hmm. uh, cabin crew down at Gatwick. At the time, they were the, um, considered to be the worst performing team in terms of their performance. Hmm. Um, I'd never done anything like this before, uh, so what I decided to do was use what I'd learned on board about people and actually go out and meet every single one of them. So over the course of six months, I met all four hundred and fifty crew. Hmm. Wow. What I realised was that you could apply the same um, the same practice with the crew as I did with the customers, mm-hmm. in that they would fall into bands. I had my I used to refer to them as my garden. So I had my, my sunflowers, my obvious talent, but actually just given a little bit of, of support. They were, they were going to reach for the stars. They, they were going to be great. Mm-hmm. At the bottom, I had my weeds, mm-hmm. which I quickly realized I actually needed to deal with because my weeds could take over and eventually pull down the sunflowers. Mm-hmm. But what surprised me the most was the band in the middle, a huge band of people that came in, did their job very well, and then went home. No praise, no recognition. They just came in, did their job. And it was those people that I decided I need to focus all of my effort on. So through speaking to them, talking to them and getting to know them, I found that I had so much hidden talent within that, in that group of people. And they're just given the little push in the right direction if they wanted it, that actually they could be fantastic and they would get the promotions and they could go on and fulfill what they wanted to do. So that's what I did. And we went from the being the worst performing team in the company to one of the best, or the best performing team at Gatwick, mm. um, which was fantastic. Um, after um, being with BA for 11 years, I got to that point where I thought, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to stay here now for the rest of my working career? Or do I actually want to do something different? And I decided that Actually, after 11 years, um, you know, it was a tiring job, it was hard work, but it was time now for me to move on um, and for that team to, you know, get someone else, someone new with fresh ideas, and for me to do something else. Hmm. So I left. I didn't have a job to go to at the time. Just right, if I don't leave now, I'll end up staying for another five years, um, and then it would be hard for me to go somewhere else. So I left. I went to networking events and met lots of people. And at one of these uh, events, um, I met a lady called Jo Taylor, um, who was the head of talent um, at Channel 4. Mm. Uh, We got chatting, we got on really well, um, exchanged numbers. A couple of weeks later, she phoned me up and said, Colin, I've got a um, a project that I would like to do, and I need someone to, to run that for me. Um, And I think that you would be a good person. Would you like to come in and and chat about it? Um, So I I went in, never worked in media before, obviously. Mm. But what she focused on was my ability to understand people and to read people and get the best out of people. Um, So after that meeting, she offered me a a six month temporary uh, contract. Uh, I did that and then became um, full time staff, permanent staff. Um, And not long after that, she left. Um, And I applied for her role um, and got it, um, which was an amazing opportunity because Channel 4 was so different from um, British Airways.
0: Absolutely fascinating. So to that point then, you, in 2011, you joined Channel 4 as Head of Talent and People Development. Yes. What's it like working for such an iconic organization and what can other businesses learn from a diversity and inclusion perspective?
1: Channel 4, um, it, it was amazing. It was, it was amazing. Every day was different. Um, The buzz, the energy in the building was fantastic. And what created that was there were so many people there from all different backgrounds. It it was very, very diverse, which, of course, is what Channel 4 is all about. It's all about the alternative voice. So it was a fantastic place to be. I absolutely um, loved it. I loved going in. I loved helping people. I loved um, helping them with their career. Um, In media, I think in particular, a lot of people are promoted because they're really good at their jobs. Um, But they don't have the training or haven't had the training to support them in those roles. So they become managers, managing teams of people. um, And then what they find is that because they haven't had that training, managing people can be really difficult um, if you don't understand how to read people and anticipate what they want. Um, And you can find that that will take up all of your time and suddenly you're not doing the job that you actually really loved. And you obviously then go down. Um, So one of the things I did there was set up a a management training program Mm -hmm. that focused on um, people. So, yes, it it gave them the skills they needed to be able to do their job better. but, But the main focus was actually on themselves. How did they see themselves? But more importantly, how did others see them? And again, it goes back to what I learned at BA about if you connect with people and read people, you, can, you will talk to them in a different way. You know how to speak to them. You know how your body language should be. You mirror them. Um, you can actually anticipate their needs. And if you can lock into that, the potential that you have in your team is, is incredible. You can go from a low-performing team to a high-performing team just by treating people as individuals and not as one collective of people. Yes, you have frameworks and, and you, know, you have policies and procedures you need to work within, but it's tapping into the individuals and treating them as individuals, which is, which gets you the
0: results. Hmm. More importantly, we're we're in the midst of a global pandemic at the moment. And I'm watching a lot of Channel 4, specifically a lot of Channel 4 news. So the question I wanted to yeah. ask you is, uh, have you met Jon Snow and what's he like? <laughs>
1: Everyone asks me that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's very tall. Oh, I thought he's I was different. Unbelievably tall. <laughs> is he? Right. Um yeah, really tall. Um, he wears the most outrageous ties and socks.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh,
1: he has a different pair uh, that he wears every single day. Uh, viewers actually send him ties and socks oh. and he wears them. <laughs> he's, um, he's very imposing, yeah. but he's the most lovely and open person that, mm. that you could ever meet. Mm. And I think that comes across on screen. Mm. Again, you know, when you see him interviewing people, he understands people and treats them as individuals. Yes, he has a topic to discuss, but he really focuses on, on them as a person um puts them at ease and then brings out the best in them mm. um which i think is you know a skill that that he's learned over the years through meeting
0: lots and lots of different people mm. really interesting you joined the telegraph in 2013 as mm. talent and people resourcing manager a very different culture from that at channel 4 um who you could argue dni as you said earlier is sort of in 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 their blood uh, championing the alternative voice what was the transition like from Channel 4 to The Telegraph?
1: Um, it, was, uh, um, it, was, it was unusual. Okay. It, was, it, was, it was difficult. Um, so at Channel 4, obviously because Channel 4 is all about diversity and that alternative voice, mm. I loved my role, and I felt that I was very good at it. But I never really knew whether it was me or the channel that was guiding guiding me um, because it was all about diversity. When the opportunity came up to go to the Telegraph, um, I felt that it would really push me because again, I'd be meeting a completely set of different, uh, different people that had different needs from different backgrounds, but also a company that you know, wasn't known for, for diversity um, and you know, was considered to be very much the opposite of Channel 4. Mm. So I felt it would be a real challenge um, for me But I also felt that, you know, using what I'd learned before and tapping into the individuals that I I didn't believe for one second that I couldn't help the Telegraph and and turn things around in terms of diversity.
0: Hmm. But to a certain extent, you you had a challenging time there sort of trying to get the diversity and inclusion agenda off off the ground. You you tell a story of when you uh, sort of brought the agenda to your boss at the time. Tell us a little bit about sort of what happened there.
1: Um, so um, so when I joined the uh, Telegraph um, I actually asked for the uh, word diversity to be taken out of my job title okay. I felt that because it was a company that wasn't known for diversity I didn't want to go in there and suddenly be this person that was all about diversity and for people to close down because diversity can actually be quite a, a scary word um, because it does make some people feel that this isn't about me and it's not for me. So I asked for that to be removed from my job title. I went around the business um, and met um, all the different heads of departments and the different areas in journalism and talked to them about um, some of the plans I wanted to put in place. Um, At the time, they had a very successful uh, graduate programme, but they didn't have any uh, type of internship programme or apprenticeship programme. And I felt that this was a Uh, something that a necessity something they really needed to do because that's how you'd find that next generation of people and bring fresh blood and different people into the organization so I went around talking to people about my plans and there was one particular meeting um, where I went through what I wanted to do and it was a bit like the film The Devil Wears Prada Hmm. Um, this person sat there and was kind of listening but not Hmm. and then she got up and went to the door and turned around to me and just said well, good luck with that, and left the room. Hmm. And I sat there and thought, gosh, okay, that didn't go well at all. Um, <laughs> what shall I do? And, yeah, big understatement, I was terrified. <laughs> so I, um, <laughs> I decided that I'd, I'd do exactly what I did back when I was a British Airways on board that aircraft. If there's a problem, I would go and sort it out straight right. away. So okay. rather than running away from it, actually go and confront it, but go with something that I felt could work and work for both of us. Sure. So I went down to her office and I said, look, that obviously didn't go very well. Um, will you give me uh, an opportunity? I will find an apprentice for you. I'll do all the recruitment and I'll find the people, I'll select them, and I'll find you one apprentice and one intern. You have those in your department. Um, I will pay for that because I created a central fund Um, to pay for these things. Again, I think if you want to make a difference around um, inclusion and diversity, these things need to be centrally funded. Otherwise, you're taking stuff away from people to maybe give them something that they don't feel they want. So by creating that central fund, it also makes it feel that they're getting something um, extra, which, of course, helps win people over.
0: Sure.
1: I went out there. I found two absolutely fantastic people. Um, I decided that... um, the recruitment process needed to be completely different um, for finding these people, and I included um, a video as part of the interview process and The reason I did that was because I believe that you know you can have the best qualifications in the world and been to the best university it doesn 't mean you 're actually going to be good at the job that you think you want. Mm. you know a lot of people go into industries or roles because their parents did it or they feel that it 's the right thing to do. I wanted to find people who were, you know, living on a council estate, hadn't been to university, hadn't even been to college. But they had that passion and their fire in the belly that this is what they wanted to do. Hmm. And I felt that there was no application process that would bring that out. But by introducing a video and the question was simple, why do you want this role? And the videos were fantastic because people would be nervous and they'd be recording it on their phone and they would say, you know, I want this role. And then suddenly the passion would kick in Mm. and you'd see their eyes light up. You'd see their facial expressions. You'd see their hands moving. And if you can tap into people that have that fire and that passion, you know, the world is your oyster. They're they're just the rough diamonds that are ready and wanting to learn. So I found two amazing people for her. Um, And she took them under her wing. Um, Within uh, six months, that number doubled. Um, And within a year, um, she was one of my biggest advocates. And the reason that happened was that she said, gosh, Colin, when you have people that that want to do this and have that passion and they want to learn... Mm. there's there's two things that happen. She said, one, talking to them is absolutely incredible because they have completely different ideas, completely different way of seeing things. Mm. And of course, that taps into a different audience. But what she also found within her department is that because you have these people that want to learn, suddenly the people that have been there for, for years... Um, they feel really good about that because they've got people around them that are saying, you know, how do you do this? How have you got to where you're at? Mm. They're recognising that they've got to where they want to be and they want all of that information so they can get to that point. And what it does for the person that's given it, of course, makes them, reminds them how Mm. good they are. And it brings back the passion for them as well. Um, So it's win-win for everybody. Mm. Um, You know, it, it was incredibly successful um and as i said she became one of my my biggest advocates, which was amazing considering mm. she walked out of the meeting halfway through at the beginning yeah
0: um so fascinating so it, it just
1: goes it is fascinating yeah um you know having different people in in your team having those different voices you know it really does boost
0: everybody up mm. it, it's a win win for everybody super fascinating so many places we we can go with this <laughs> one, thing, one thing that jumps out to me straight away was something that you said earlier, which is uh, you, know, you, you want to remove the word diversity from diversity and inclusion because the story that you told there, by sort of presenting this diversity and inclusion initiative within the organization, the individual that you were talking about felt left out. She didn't feel as though or he didn't feel as, as though it was inclusive of her uh, which is yes. sort of ironic, really, because we're talking about diversity and inclusion. So what we need to be doing instead is sort of including everybody um, yes. and not sort of alienating anyone. Talk a little bit about yes. sort of why you want to see the word diversity removed and have a more of an emphasis on inclusion. So the word diversity itself um, means, you know, different but
1: I feel that over the years, there's been such a focus on strands of diversity that actually a lot of people feel excluded from that. You know, if I'm not this, this isn't this isn't for me. And I've got two great stories, if you don't mind. That I, can, I can tell sure. you about that. So one was at The Telegraph and a very um, senior uh, journalist um, came to talk to me. And again, you know, I used the, the, the technique that I'd learned at BA and. And really, really spoke to him um, as an individual. He actually broke down in tears. And the reason that he was so upset was that he he felt that literally he was waiting um, to be made redundant. Mm. He felt that things were moving on so quickly and there was such a focus. Um, in the world around diversity that hmm. he didn't fit into that and where was his place how was he going to get his next job how was he going to get promotion
0: interesting
1: so we we talked about how actually you are needed hmm. this won't happen without you what we need from you is to be involved and be part of this because you're already here you're already doing the job And you've got so much knowledge and so many skills that that you can pass on. Mm. You're not redundant at all. This is all about having different people at different stages of their career, from different backgrounds. It's the mix of people that makes this work, Mm. not excluding people. Mm. Another story I have um, is uh, someone I know. um, We were talking, she wanted promotion um, at work. And we were talking through it and... She said to me, Colin, um, I'm not going to get this because I'm not exciting enough. And I said, what do you mean by that? Mm. She said, there's such a focus on on diversity. She said, I'm white, Mm. I'm blonde, I'm from middle class background. Mm. I'm not exciting. I don't have that exciting story to tell. Really? Nobody's interested in me. Amazing. And this was someone who's 21, Mm. you know, at the start of her career, absolutely amazing and already sure. she felt excluded hmm. so there's two things about that one the word diversity can make people feel that they're not excluded not part of
0: something mm-hmm.
1: but also what that does but she went for someone like her who's 21 when she gets into her 30s and is moving up the ranks with whichever company she's in that is in her mind hmm. and that's bias because she's she's already experienced herself feeling excluded. Mm. And that's not the way forward. It's about bringing people together. So I personally don't use the word diversity uh, in the workplace. Mm. I always use the word inclusion because it's about everybody. It's about bringing people together, having a common goal and working together as a group to make that happen. It's not about making people feel that they're not exciting or they don't have a great story or they're from the wrong background because they've not struggled. Mm. That isn't what it should be about. It should be about people and working together, focusing on what needs to be done and producing something that's fantastic because you've got all of those different voices Mm. around the table.
0: Well said. Um, And and it's definitely something that... um, We need to be aware of not excluding people who do have a voice and do have value to add. However, we would still acknowledge that there is a a problem, especially with um, sort of lack of representation in media and advertising specifically of diverse uh, from people from diverse backgrounds. How do we get the balance right between not alienating those people that can add value and do have something to say and can contribute positively and actually getting more of a diverse mix of people into the media and advertising world.
1: So one of the big blockers that I found um, both at Channel 4 and the Telegraph is that through looking at data and looking through the recruitment process, what I realized that actually it wasn't that people were not getting interviews. It wasn't that people were being turned down at first stages of the interview. What I felt was that there actually wasn't a mix of people applying in the first place. Hmm. Um, So I went out and I spoke to people. I travelled around um, universities, colleges, youth centres, all around the country and spoke to individuals about why are you not applying for these individuals? Hmm. And the story came back loud and clear. In the media, we always talk about how media isn't diverse. Those are always the headlines that you see. If you're an individual who hasn't been to uni, hasn't been to, been to college. You've also got people in your family that are saying to you, oh, no, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. The reason they're saying that is because mm. these messages are out there and it makes people feel that there's not a place for them. Mm. So, you know, I don't believe the biggest blockers are actually around, um, around companies. It's around the messages that are going out and people feeling that there isn't a part for them. And again, that goes back to the connection. Mm. So it's about going out there, connecting with people, telling them about your organization and what you do and how they fit into that. Mm. One of the things I found, especially when I traveled around um, universities, was that um, there's such a big focus on you must have these qualifications, you know, to do this, and you have to be get the best score. Um, and there's nothing around actually the passion and wanting to actually do that that job. It's really really important. Then you go to a youth centre and you've got people that have that passion and have that that drive and, and want to do this. But because they're unable to go through um, higher education because they need to help out and support the family, etc., mm. they feel that again there's there's not a place for them. Mm. And there is. So it's about going out there connecting. Telling your story of the company and making people feel that actually this is somewhere that I could work. Hmm. And then people will start to apply. Yeah. I'm not saying that you take people that that aren't, you know, are not good. What I'm saying is that by changing your approach, connecting with people and talking to people and changing your recruitment process so that actually suits different people, that actually you get you get these unbelievably talented people coming through. Um, the pipeline because they feel safe they feel secure and they feel that at the end of it there's a place for them Hmm. and it's also about guiding people that every stage of an interview process you know look if you come out at a stage give people feedback you know a lot of companies don't do this and again it's about telling that person why they didn't get to the next stage to enable them to do something about it and apply again
0: Hmm. super super interesting um final couple of questions now before we uh, before we end the interview, you, you recently teamed up with Channel 4, the BBC, ITV, uh, BFI to launch a series of free online events that aim to specifically address the challenges faced by the uh, BAME industry professionals during the ongoing COVID crisis that we're in right now. What are some of the specific challenges faced by BAME individuals?
1: Again, I... That feeling of being um, excluded it's about that feeling of being um, isolated um, you know mentally this situation is is really affecting um, a lot of people um, a lot of people don't even realize that it's it's happening to them so again it's about you know really pushing that those opportunities are out there it's about talking about you know the future in a positive way and not a negative because the negative feeds into that feeling of you know, I don't have a future, or this isn't you know, I'm not gonna get anywhere. Mm. Again, it's all around messaging. It needs to be positive. It's it's got to be upbeat. We we focus too much on pushing out there that, you know, diversity, 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 you know, it's it's not good, things aren't good. Mm. I'm not saying that it's brilliant. But what I am saying is there are amazing people out there in companies that are doing jobs that are really talented. And it's those people that should, we should be using as companies to go online, uh, go out there and tell their stories and talk. I remember when I was, was younger, going back to being cabin three, um, I felt that it would be really hard for me to get that role because I didn't see anyone that looked mm. like me um, and being a mixed-race person and also being gay, I didn't feel there were role models out there for me to aspire to. Mm. Um, you know, gay people that were on TV tended to be extremely camp, extremely mm. extrovert, mm. you know, funny, telling jokes. I wasn't that confident. Mm. Um, you know, I wish I'd, I had seen somebody that, that I could recognise and I felt was like me, because that would have um, kick-started my career a lot earlier. You know, I didn't really blossom until... You know, I was halfway through my career at British Airways, and that was only because I had a great manager hmm. that actually recognised me um, and recognised that I could actually do better. So again, it goes all about it's all about those connections. The connections are really important.
0: Hmm, super interesting. And and you say for that reason, that's the reason why you don't like LGBT groups or black groups specifically within organisations because they cause a, a even bigger divide. Explain that.
1: Yeah, um, I feel that a lot of companies um, create um, LGBT groups, etc., cetera, um, or groups around strands of diversity. They, they do it to tick a box. They do it by you know, using it then to say, oh, we have these groups, that makes us diverse. I don't believe that it does, and it goes back to what I was saying about inclusion. Just because I'm gay, um, do I want to join a, an LGBT group at work? With other gay people, because mm. the only thing we've got in common is that we're gay. Mm-hmm. But gay is being is part of our makeup; mm. it's who we are. What I want to do is be in a room with people that have the same passions as me. Sure, um, you know, I love champagne, um, so I would much to have a join a group that's I'll talking join. about champagne. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll join the champagne group, please. <laughs> no, I, I'm already in it. I'm already in it. I can't join. Um, you know, I, I, it's the passion. It goes back to that passion again, and it's about how people feel. Inside, You know, sit two people together and just because they both happen to be black doesn't mean they're going to get on at all. Hmm. But you sit two people together that are interested in the champagne, straight away, there's a, <laughs> there's a conversation there. Sure, They'll start sure. talking about their own experiences. Right. And that's what brings people together. I believe these groups are good if there is a, a, a pure focus on why they're there and what they're doing. And especially around recruitment, I think it's good. If you know you want to attend certain events that are attracting a certain strand of people, great. But if you're just setting them up because you think that it makes you a diverse company and ticks a box, yeah. I actually, sorry, ticks a box, I yeah. think it actually does the opposite. Yeah. Because what about all those people in that, that office or that company, that building, that actually don't feel... That there's something for them. Hmm. So again, it's about it's about that balance. If you're going to do one thing, you have to do another. But why focus on on what somebody is? Surely, you want to focus on who they are. Hmm.
0: Super interesting. It also creates, in my mind, an echo chamber. You're already speaking potentially to the to the converted. If if you do have an LGBT group or a black group, let's say, in an organisation, and let's say, for argument's sake, that they, they do think the same, or they are aligned in their thinking, that doesn't really change the organization much because you're all speaking to each other. It's it's an echo chamber reinforcing each other's exactly. views. So you definitely need a diverse uh, sort of makeup of, of those, those yes. uh, sorts of institutions. Um, super, super fascinating. Uh, just bringing the interview to an end now, Colin, we're living in very troubling times. I think this is week nine or week 10 of COVID and lost track of time completely. But I like yeah. to end all of these interviews with a silver linings piece because even though there's a lot of uh, sort of economic and health uncertainty out there at the moment, there are a lot of positives that have come out of this situation uh, for people both personally and professionally. So what have been some of the silver linings for you in this situation, both personally and professionally?
1: Uh, so personally, um, I think that I I value my two friends um, a lot more because you've not been able to see people again. It goes back to that that connection. And if you have that connection with somebody, it doesn't matter what situation you're in or how long you don't see each other for. You can pick up where you left off because that connection is there. It's also made me realize that, you know, time is precious and life is precious. Um, and that actually that there does need to be more of a balance. And I think a lot of people are realizing that. You know, the great silver lining that's come out of this, you know, are people that do jobs that that keep the country running. Mm. Um as I, you know, going back to what I did at, at BA, recognizing that band of people in the middle that, you know, go into work, go home. They're now being recognized for how they actually make up the day-to-day running of the country and what we do, mm. you know, from bin men to people at the you know fabulous people at the NHS. I, you know, the perception has changed a lot. And I believe that, that that's a that's a good thing, mm. an absolutely good thing. Um, I think the companies, the way companies will work moving forward um, will change. You know, a lot of people are, are working from home obviously at the moment. You know, a lot of those people have children, etc you know, surely now companies will look at their policies and procedures and see that actually homeworking can work and that people don't need to be in the office every day. Hmm. And that helps them with their life and helps that balance. So there, I think there are lots of positives that, that, that have and will come out of this moving
0: forward. Great place to end. Colin Campbell-Austin is the co-founder of Mental. Colin, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you, Nathan. Great. Thank you.